0: This podcast was built on the foundation of applied education, and I'm excited for you to be here so you can have that experience with me. Now, without any further ado, let's get on to the show. All right, so today we're going to talk about one of my favorite things, easily in my top five favorite things in the entire world. Um, after my daughter and my wife and, uh, training in general comes carbs. I love carbs. If you're listening to this, you probably love carbs too. Carbs are amazing. However, they are also demonized. Um, I wrote a blog actually, and I'll link this in the show notes called seven things you didn't know about carbs. And then in parentheses they wrote, but need to. And that's what we're going to dive into today. I'm going to talk about the seven things you didn't know about carbs or the seven things you need to know about carbs, the seven things that might convince you to eat more carbs, the seven things that I have personally watched through anecdote and experience um, inside of my client work, transform people's bodies and improve their lives, help them thrive, help them think, help them perform, help them recover, help them have better hormones, so on and so forth through carbohydrates. Carbohydrates are... uh, they're non essential. So, this is what's funny. I wrote this in an in Instagram post yesterday. I wrote, uh, carbs are non essential, but in my book, every macro is essential. And what I mean by that is you need every macro in some way, shape, or form to truly thrive. Can you survive without carbs? Of course. Should you? Hell no. Why? What is the point? There's no point. And at the end of the day, if you remove any one macro in excess, you're going to have some form of issues, whether that is joint health, performance, recovery, hormone, longevity, flexibility, and social settings. It doesn't matter. There's, there's always going to be repercussions uh, for cutting out any one carbohydrate. You're going to have some kind of issue in, in one area of your life, um, especially health, if you cut out any one macro in excess. You can't go super low fat. You can't go super low protein. You can't go super low carb. So let's focus on a balance. However, there are times and places where we should have a lower carb diet or a lower fat diet. Um, Very rarely should you have a lower protein diet unless you have predetermined kidney issues, which I actually do have more than one client with uh, kidney issues, having kidney surgery prior to working with me, and they are following a lower protein diet. Um, Still above what the typical practitioner in the doctor's office will tell you, but um, that's besides the point today. Um, Today's all about carbs. So we're going to talk about the seven things that you need to know about carbs. We're going to dive a little bit deeper into each aspect. And, and my goal with this is to not necessarily convince you into eating more carbohydrates, but it's, it's to remove any doubts, fears, or concerns that you may have had. Um, so for the listeners who have found success with a low carb diet, I'd have you consider that it's most likely because it dropped your calories, whether you're tracking macros or not. If you drop carbs, you inherently lower your calories. If you go low fat, you inherently lower your calories. So typically people gravitate towards a diet that worked for them for the first time. Meaning if the low carb diet is the first thing you tried before tracking macros or understanding what a caloric intake was or what caloric balance really came down to the equation of it you most likely uh, have some kind of bias towards a low-carb diet because that was the first thing that worked for you, right? Um, If you first tried like a bodybuilding style diet. In fact, this was actually me. Um, I have two biases. When I first started, I had a bias towards intermittent fasting because that was the first structured diet I really followed and saw, uh, saw success. So, Actually, I lied. clean eating. It went clean eating, then intermittent fasting, and then a bodybuilding diet. So my, my whole history was like I tried every diet in the sun. None of them actually worked for me. And then once I was like, I'm just going to focus on training and eating real food. So I cut out junk. I, I started eating, quote unquote, whole foods more often. And this is not paleo. This is I'm talking whole grains. So I would still have cereal, but I would have organic 2% milk with some kind of organic whole grain cereal at the time when I was 50 pounds overweight. That created a caloric deficit, and it helped me lose weight because it was less calories, and it was healthier foods with more micronutrients. But that in the combination of training, which increased my energy expenditure, led to weight loss. So I had this bias towards I have to do boot camp-style training, high-intensity circuits, and I have to eat really clean food. Um, I soon learned that it wasn't just that. It was creating caloric deficits. I went to school for this, and I started learning things, and I was like, ah, This is why this is working. Um, And then later on, I I went to intermittent fasting. At this time, I'm still not tracking macros, but I shifted to intermittent fasting because it was new um, at the time. This is uh, seven years ago. And it worked great for me because, you know, I was in school in the morning. I interned all day. And then I worked at Rite Aid at night. So I barely got sleep. But what I did is I had a couple hours at home before I went to bed that I could feast. So I would, like, fast all day. I would nibble on a protein bar and some berries, uh, before my workout, work out at 10 p.m. and then have a huge fee. So I'd have like two snacks before I worked out, and then I would literally dominate 2000 calories a night. Lost weight, got shredded, built muscle, thought intermittent fasting was the holy grail. Until I tried to give it to every client, and they failed at it. Had to go back to the drawing board and look at science. Um, and then after that, I did a bodybuilding show with a prep uh, coach, and we went super low fat, high carb, high protein. And then it was like, fuck, that's the key, right? No fats. Um, the reality is it all comes down to calories. So I could do another podcast about, and I probably should actually know that I'm saying this, seven things you need to, you didn't know about fats that you need to know, right? And it's the same idea. I'm, I'm working towards eliminating the demonization of any type of food group because all macronutrients truly are essential for thriving. If you listen to this podcast, you are not here to simply survive and coast through life. You want to thrive. You want to have a body that you are confident and proud of. You want to have energy that screams success and performance. You want to have better sex, better thoughts, harder thinking, better work, better training, better muscles, faster fat loss, so on and so forth. You want to thrive. You want to live on this earth in a a thriving way. And because of that, you need all macronutrients, in my opinion. So let's dive into the actual things. The first one being carbs enhance hormonal output. One hormone that many people have issues with is the thyroid gland. In fact, literally quoted, an estimated 20 million Americans have some form of thyroid disease. Up to sixty percent of those with thyroid disease are completely unaware of the condition. That's insane. Not only does it mean that a lot of people actually do the ratio of people who have thyroid dysfunction or disease is in, is really high, right? And this is this is probably outdated by now because it wasn't done in two thousand nineteen. It was done previously, but the point is is the ratio of people is very very high. And the ratio of people who are unaware is very high too. 60% of those with thyroid disease are completely unaware, which probably means that this is a completely inaccurate and it's probably even greater than we realize. But what's even more insane is that the thyroid affects nearly every other human cell in the body and every single hormone in the human body, which means if you have a thyroid issue, you likely have other underlying issues manifesting as well, whether that is cortisol issues, low testosterone levels, estrogen imbalances, metabolic adaptation, doesn't matter. There could be a bunch more to the picture that you don't even realize because at the end of the day, whether it's directly or indirectly, thyroid can affect other hormones and other hormones can affect the thyroid. The thyroid is kind of like the control center of your hormonal system. One thing that a lot of people gravitate towards when it comes to hormones in general is fats, right? Lipids, the macronutrient, um, and how it positively impacts them, which is very true it's a well-known fact that if you drop your calories below 20% or say 0.3 grams per pound of your daily total intake, uh, 20% of your daily total intake, or if you are calculating your macros through uh, more of a calculation versus a percentage and you drop your fats below 0.3 to 0.35 grams per excuse me, per pound, we're likely to start seeing some serious hormonal implications, some negative adaptations with your hormones. Now, everybody's individual there. Some people can drop uh, fat macros to 15% of daily total calories and be fine on a prep. Some people, and it also depends on how high your calorie intake is, because maybe you're only consuming 15% of your calories from fats. However, you're in a huge surplus that's why i like doing calculations better but let's say you're at 0.3 grams per pound and you feel like shit you have no sex drive your testosterone's through the tank your cortisol's high whatever it may be your hormones are are taking a hit right and then the other person like me for example i can do just fine like this i can go 0.3 grams per pound and be totally fine um, is that the type of sources of fats you're getting? Is that a genetic component? Is it just an individual component? Of course, it's always all of the above. So I don't want you guys to take any one number with a grain of salt because some people I have, I have to have them at 0.5 grams per pound of fat to get them feeling good. Some people 0.3 is fine and we just drive carbs up. So it's very individual. But the point is, is as we dip lower and lower in fats, you do see more hormonal implications. Um, if you were in a caloric maintenance or surplus, you can typically get away with less carbs without having any serious hormonal implications compared to fat. However, that doesn't mean carbs aren't important for health with the thyroid and the hormones in general. In fact, uh, I have a quote here from Dr. Becky Campbell that was actually from my podcast, which I'll link in the show notes. She said, if you don't eat enough carbs, especially when you have a thyroid issue, you can lose the conversion of T4 to T3. So T4 is the thyroid storage hormone. T3 is the thyroid's energy hormone. So for the body to use T4, it must first convert it to the active hormone, T3, giving energy to every cell in the body. And as you can probably put that together from that, if we do not have a functioning thyroid that is going through this conversion process, the body will not store nor use energies, energy calories, quote unquote, properly. This can cause metabolic issues and the possible side effects of uh, issues with weight gain or fat accumulation or other hormonal issues obviously but the big point there is for our metabolism and for our energy systems to work properly we have to have that conversion of t4 to t3 and if we completely drop carbs for some individuals that can cause the thyroid issue and we can lose that conversion of t4 to t3 so adding to the thyroid carbs are essential for other hormones too insulin cortisol testosterone and the metabolism as well which are all affected indirectly and directly by the thyroid gland, meaning it's kind of a cycle here. The thyroid indirectly and directly affects those hormones, obviously, as I mentioned earlier, but those hormones, if we have issues there, can also affect the thyroid. So it's kind of one of those things where I look at it like a big family tree of hormones, and we have to water this tree, plant the seeds, grow the tree properly. We have to take care of the tree for it to stay alive and to continue flourish and continue having blossoming leaves and so on and so forth. Kind of a cheesy analogy, but my point being is everything's connected. It's a big web. It's a big cycle. You can't isolate any one hormone and expect to ignore the rest. So if we're looking to change our performance or our body composition, which is mainly what the listeners of this podcast want, we want to utilize insulin to manage storage of nutrients around our training. This is because when we train, our insulin sensitivity improves. A lot of us know this is why we kind of put the pre and post-workout carbs around um, our workouts. And this is basically, it's, it's allowing our body to shuttle more nutrients to the muscle rather than store as body fat. But the nutrient it is shuttling into the muscle is almost primarily carbohydrates alone, which is also why carbs have the biggest impact on insulin. So if we think about what we are storing in the muscle cell, we are storing glycogen. Glycogen comes from glucose. Glucose is carbohydrates. So it's important to consume carbs for better performance, so on and so forth. But if we're not taking care of our body and our insulin levels, we might not be able to facilitate that storage process properly. Also, when we consume carbs and increase insulin, we can bring down cortisol, the stress hormone. Right, so these two hormones, insulin and cortisol, kind of have a uh, inverse relationship. When we spike insulin via carbohydrates, we also bring down cortisol. Cortisol is a stress hormone. If we bring down cortisol, the stress hormone, we are more likely to improve thyroid and total total hormonal health because we are not chronically elevating cortisol, chronically elevating stress throughout the day and throughout the week. This is huge. Um, And this is why, again, I'll say it again, both cortisol and insulin um, have an inverse relationship and they have an effect on testosterone. They have an effect on thyroid, so on and so forth. Um, And before we get into testosterone, the last thing I will say about carbs and uh, these other hormones. So we know that the T4 to T3 conversion is helped through carbohydrates and we could possibly lose it. We know that insulin is spiked and managed with carbohydrates and it also blunts the cortisol response increasing recovery, decreasing stress hormones. But what a lot of people forget too is the reason why carbs are quote-unquote anabolic is because when we consume carbs and protein consistently, we not only spike insulin to drop cortisol, but we also spike insulin that has a positive effect on both growth hormone and muscle protein synthesis. So if we're consistently dropping cortisol, increasing growth hormone, increasing muscle protein synthesis with the combination of protein and carbs, guess what's gonna happen? We're probably going to build more muscle. We're probably going to recover better. We're probably going to maintain more muscle during a cut. We're probably going to be stronger. This is probably a good thing, not only for our hormones in general, but also for our body composition. Another reason why carbs might be a good idea. So if we dive into testosterone, as men, testosterone is arguably the most important hormone to pay attention to because it gives us focus, motivation, muscle mass, sex drive, reproductive function – Testosterone is pretty damn important. Here's a little quote about it that I took away for the podcast. Testosterone concentrations were consistently higher in healthy males following 10 days of high carbohydrate compared to low carbohydrate consumption, despite the fact that these diets were equal in total calories. So when you first start hearing this quote, the first thing is goes, okay, well, were they in a deficit? But they weren't. All calories were equated. Does this mean that your testosterone is going to drop if you are in a uh, maintenance caloric diet with high fat, low carb? No, it does not mean that. You can keep testosterone levels elevated while still having lower carbs. Don't get me wrong. There is a individual case for everything. But in this study, it showed this 10 days isn't a very high, a very long. So the one thing I will say is if this study was eight weeks, we might see a different result Um, because as we know, to become fat adapted, it doesn't happen in a matter of 10 days. It usually takes... Minimum two weeks, but usually a couple months. So let's say in the scenario that somebody is actually following a low-carb, high-fat, and they're in a diet and they're in a caloric maintenance or surplus. Then the possibility of having testosterone drop is a lot lower simply because they are getting enough calories and they are becoming fat-adapted. However, what I will say is most people who follow a low-carb diet fail to truly stick to it long enough to become fat-adaptive because if they're going in a low-carb diet, they're probably dropping calories too. So I would say if you are not planning on going straight keto, a low-carbohydrate diet is not for you. So to wrap up the hormone point, as you can see, the endocrine system, the hormonal system is pretty damn important and influential on body composition and performance, Um, but also on our quality of life. Carbs play a major role in optimizing the system. You need it. Now, that doesn't mean the other nutrients don't play a role too, because like I said, protein has a role in hormones, fat have a role in hormones, but we're talking about balance here. So by neglecting one nutrient, we're probably going to neglect or negate or like decline have a negative adaptation towards our hormonal results, period. And our hormones play such a big role. Not just, I got to say this again, because I don't think a lot of people understand. They think hormones are like, oh, my hormones are damaged. I'm going to have a shitty metabolism. I'm not going to get lean. It's like, yeah, but you might also have poor motivation, mood swings, depression, irritability, lack of focus in work, lack of presence with family. Like hormones are pretty damn important. So we got to think about it more than just a body composition standpoint. Number two, I kind of already alluded to this, but carbs boost muscle growth. This is really important. First thing to point out with carbs and muscle growth is that carbs are a protein-sparing nutrient, the most protein-sparing nutrient, which means in the absence of protein, your body will make do by using carbs to get the job done. Protein sparing or amino acid sparing is literally the process by which the body derives energy from sources other than protein. Protein sparing conserves muscle tissue without specifically using protein as a nutrient. This is a very important aspect of nutritional strategies for muscle growth because it solidifies the need for carbs as a backup nutrient essentially for further gains or muscle tissue maintenance on a cut, which is my next big point here. When we're on a cut, we are actively putting our body in a scarce mode of survival and stress. Sounds kind of harsh and over the top and kind of like hashtag hardcore, but when we put it in those terms, the reality is that our body is not designed to diet and get shredded for the sheer purpose of looking better or aesthetic or, or sexy or naked. Like that's not what we are here to do on earth. So we are in this cut or a quote unquote scarce stressed mode. Our body won't perform optimally. How can it? We're literally depriving it of the fuel and forcing it to use what is, has already been stored, body fat, which is the goal, which can lead to the issues of muscle loss if your macros are not dialed in accordingly. This is a major reason why we so, see so many bodybuilders getting absolutely shredded yet keeping a lot of muscle mass during the process. Their diets are almost always carb heavy, almost always, because carbs will help performance and they're also a protein-sparing nutrient, which are the two definitive ways to hold on to muscle while losing fat. Mic drop. I should be able to drop the mic right there. This is why some of the clients that I work with that get shredded for photo shoots, when I get shredded for a photo shoot, I actually do favor a low-fat diet. Um, I don't go so low that it's a hormonally unhealthy, but I do everything I can to keep those carbs high because it's, it, they're going to help not only spare protein because as we diet, we only have so much protein we can use and we don't want our body to use stored protein, which is stored muscle tissue and aminos in the body. We want it to use fat cells and we want to use carbs to fuel performance and spare protein. That's what they're going to do. Um, but that's not all. We're going to dive into it because we, we obviously need carbs because they're protein sparing. We need carbs because they are the dominant fuel for performance, which is the obviously the biggest key in building and maintaining muscle. So if you want to maintain strength of muscle during cut, you need carbs in order to perform and recover, but there's more. Carbs are also part of the process to activate and produce ATP. In fact, as much as 80% of ATP production is derived from glycolysis, the glucose production. ATP is a major component in anaerobic training, which is a major component in getting stronger and building muscle. Anaerobic training is literally resistant training. But this means that if we're looking to maximally stimulate results through strength training, carbohydrates are a necessity Um, so like if we look at ATP production, ATP, like just so people can get a little science lesson, ATP is produced primarily. in, like, if we're doing like sprints or explosive work in that, like it's kind of tapping out at the seven to 11 second mark. So after seven to 11 seconds, you're kind of tapping out, but this is our first five reps. This is our most explosive work. This is anything that is heavier than 70% of maximal load. This is non-endurance based stuff. It's strength, explosive hypertrophy training. So if we want to perform optimally. What do we need? Literally, we need ATP. If it's not enough ATP to finish, because let's say we're repping out for 20 seconds, we need ATP to at least start the process and get us halfway through, and then lactate kind of kicks in and our muscle endurance will take us through the rest of the set. But the point is we need ATP, and 80% of ATP production is derived from carbs. Now, there's more. Research is kind of limited here, but um, there's some evidence that leans towards a combination of protein and carbohydrates positively impacting muscle protein synthesis. MPS muscle protein synthesis is the anabolic signal our body creates when we ingest protein and or strength train. Um, cause it happens then too as, but it's when we ingest protein as a nutrient and, uh, that stimulates that anabolic response to rebuild tissue or, or uh, build new tissues. This is a major player in the game of building muscle, obviously. And although research is limited, many believe carbs do play a role in boosting that effect rather than just carbs alone or just protein alone. Um, now, this could be literally it imp- influencing muscle protein synthesis, or it could be the combination of carbs and protein being that protein will spike muscle protein synthesis. Carbs will spike insulin, causing a growth hormone uh, elevation and cortisol uh, depression, essentially, uh, decreasing cortisol. It could be the combo of that that leads to more muscle growth, or it could be literally just muscle protein synthesis. And there's also research that shows just muscle protein synthesis may not lead to new growth. It would just lead to rebuilding what's already there. So it's kind of hard to say indefinitely, but what we do know is having a combination of protein and carbs in a meal is beneficial. In fact, one study that pushes us to believe this and that proved intra-workout supplementation to be a great idea inside of hypertrophy-based nutrition, uh, and you can actually look this up. I'll, I'll link it in the show notes. It's titled Independent and Combined Effects of Liquid Carbohydrates Slash Essential Amino Acid Ingestion on a Hormonal and Muscular Adaptations Following Resistance Training in Untrained Men very long title, but I'll link that in the show notes. Um, It actually gave evidence to literal muscle growth and cortisol reduction when consuming carbs and essential amino acids, so full protein spectrum, during training. So there's a few different ones. Intra-workout nutrition suppresses cortisol levels. Intra-workout carbs plus protein suppresses muscle protein breakdown. And intra-workout protein plus carbs increases muscle fiber cross-sectional area uh, a muscle, a measure of muscle growth. So these are all different studies that I will link in there. Um, and th- these are all literal quotes that I'm reading right from you. I have written down for this podcast. Um, so what does this mean? It means that carbohydrates inside of our workout literally induces more muscle growth through three different pathways, suppressed cortisol levels, suppressed muscle protein breakdown, and uh, increased muscle uh, fiber cross-sectional area. So that's literally the muscle tissues over, and I believe it was on quad cross-sectional area in that study. So long story short, Carbs boost muscle growth, plain and simple, through muscle protein synthesis, through insulin, through growth hormone, through hormonal responses, through performance, through recovery, through stress management, the list goes on. You need carbs to build muscle. Number three on the list, carbs reduce stress, mental and physical. This has already been talked about quite a bit in this podcast because I, I think it influences many other facts, but I had to leave it as a standalone as well because carbohydrates spike insulin, which we know, um, and during that process, it blunts cortisol, uh, the cortisol response in the body. Cortisol is a stress hormone that rises as stress is high. This is good, but only at the right times. If we have a cortisol spiking at the wrong times, like when we are trying to go to bed or chronically spiking so that we never come down from a stressful state, we're in serious trouble. But if we have cortisol spike at the right times, like in the morning when we need it to wake us up or when we want to go harder in the gym during an explosive workout, we're going to be more alert and see better results. And since we know that carbs can help us blunt that, that response or control this cortisol stress response, we now kind of have a tool that allows us to lower stress levels and improve recovery. So when stress is high and cortisol is up, we're in a sympathetic nervous system mode. This is our fight or flight response, which means go, run, lift, shoot, kill, jump but it doesn't mean rest, recover, replenish, rebuild, digest, sleep, so on and so forth. This becomes an issue because if we do not know how to properly shift out of sympathetic and into parasympathetic, which is our rest and digest recovery side of the nervous system, we end up in a vicious cycle of stress overload. This often leads to chronic adrenal issues or HPA axis dysfunction. Um, during that process, our body begins to break down in multiple areas because it's just can't recover. It needs the ability to shift into parasympathetic nervous system mode in order to fully recover. And it needs to be fully recovered in order to fully adapt to the process of literally making changes to what we want to see, muscle and fat. So now that I can kind of break that down and and like, I think it's obvious recovery is key. We need to have this control over our nervous system. I mean, we need to have a way to better facilitate our recovery and our ability to shift in and out of these nervous system modes. But what do we do? We time our carbs accordingly, plain and simple. Post-workout carbs are massively important in blunting the cortisol response training gives us and allowing our body to tap into parasympathetic mode. Now, the science community, which I don't disagree with, uh, I, w- I believe in more of an evidence-based practice, which means that we take the science, but we also take anecdote and evidence based on experience and clients um, while using the science to make proper decisions with our programming and nutrition. Um And that's going to tell us that post-workout carbs are important. Like, do you need to run to your post-workout shape with carbs of protein or you're going to miss your anabolic window? No, that's a myth and it's far-fetched and it's a little bit exaggerated. However, we do know that training spikes cortisol. We do know that elevated cortisol levels are not a good thing for recovery. And we do know that Clients who consistently consume protein and carbs right away post-workout blunt the response faster and likely have more recovery. So it might not make an effect in a short-term study, but over years of training or even over months of training, consistently elevating cortisol, kind of hitting this drip of stress response, it it's get worse and worse until we blunt this response with carbs. So having carbs post-workout is key. Um, evening carbohydrates can be critical as well and allowing our body to just kind of unwind and get a night restful night's sleep. This is kind of mixed literature. There is some literature that shows that um, we actually shouldn't have too many calories in the evening. Um, So we should actually have our carb-heavy and our, not really carb-heavy, but our calorie-heavy meals towards the earlier parts of the day. Um, So it's less digestion responsibility at night before bed. Um, But we also know that having a high-fat meal before bed, too high-fat, can actually cause sleep uh, distress uh, disturbances. Um, couldn't think of the right word there. Um, so we don't want to have a super high fat meal. So maybe like a, a moderate calorie meal, but carb heavy because carbs tap you into parasympathetic mode, whether your cortisol is up or not, it's probably going to help you wind down and bring you into that kind of quote unquote carb coma. Um, that's going to give you a restful night's sleep. Pre-workout carbs can be key as well for those who are already carb uh, cortisol dominant and who live in a higher state of stress because it balances the cortisol level prior to training. Now, there's some people who don't want to have too many carbs pre-training because it might calm them down too much but having enough starchy carbs that digest quick will at the very least influence blood glucose levels which will mean we'll get a better pump we'll have better blood flow and better hydration to the blood system and the muscle muscular system going in that training which is why like i actually like having like a moderate meal a few hours earlier, like maybe oatmeal, something slow digesting, but I'll also put some kind of sugary thing before my workout, whether it's highly branched cyclic dextrin, some blueberries, something that gives me a little bit of a blood glucose response in my blood because I get a better pump. And that blood glucose is a faster source of ATP to give you immediate energy. No, it might not be sustained very long, but that's why I had the the oatmeal. That slower digesting is going to be sustaining me throughout that hour to two-hour workout versus blueberries or something sugary will be quick, probably run out quick, but it does give me that ATP response I need to start getting after it. Um, intra-workout carbs can play a big role in controlling cortisol and, and bettering, uh, in allowing better muscle repair and growth. We already kind of covered that. Frequent carb feedings, um, evenly distributed out through meal, can be an intelligent way to help with stress and anxiety, uh, like we talked about earlier, that can help muscle growth as well. But for individuals to keep cortisol levels steady throughout the day, it can be pretty helpful managing stress and anxiety. Uh, I've had a lot of clients that come to me and some that are clinically higher cortisol. And what we'll do is like, we might not have a ton of carbs right out the gate because a lot of these people come to me with this issue from under eating. So we might have a moderate total amount of carbs, but we're gonna have a steady pace of carbs throughout the day versus trying to time them to separate the timing of carbs, I'm like, hey, every meal is going to have carbs and protein because I want to constantly blunt that cortisol response down. Um, And then the last thing with timing is carbides in general can just help trigger tryptophan, which converts into serotonin. Serotonin is a neurotransmitter in us that actually helps positivity, uh, positivity with our mood, with depression, with sleep quality, so on and so forth. So Long story short, there's a a lot of different ways, but carbs in general can be helpful for stress, uh, mental and physical. One caveat I will say is calories in general. So if you have a a moderately high carb diet, but you're in a serious deficit, it's not going to help that much. You might help sleep a little bit. You might help the training aspects. But overall, if you're in a serious caloric deficit, you're going to have stress no matter what. However, if we're going to pinpoint one macronutrient to alleviate better stress, I would say that carbs are probably the highest one up there. Carbs help sleep. I already covered this in the last point, but I'm just going to double down on it real quick. Um, as mentioned in number three, carbs consumed in the evening can help us lower stress levels and unwind prior to bed, especially because they have that effect on serotonin, which can help our mood. And it's a neurotransmitter that actually helps enhance sleep as well. Um, so this fact alone is is enough to prove that don't eat carbs at night, quote unquote, is just a myth. And it's been completely busted. But let's add to this. Uh, serotonin is massively beneficial for good sleep. Carbohydrates can help us shift us into a parasympathetic state within our nervous system, which is the exact opposite of a fight or flight ready alert state, which is sympathetic. And as most of you know, you can't go to sleep if you're wired. Oftentimes, we I see clients all the time uh, who suffer with what we call tired and wired. This is a state of being where your nervous system is essentially just on right you're in that driven state and it it may be negatively adapt, adapted um, you may have some issues with not only cortisol but also your circadian rhythm um, and if at the end of the day if it feels like you're really tired and you need rest but then when you lay down at night you just cannot fall asleep you're probably tired and wired and Proper carb consumption may be able to help shift you out of the state and actually help you get into parasympathetic state, which is absolutely crucial in, in, uh, in increasing proper sleep, but also improving that adrenal dysfunction that is causing that tired and wired. Um, so two other caveats I have to throw in there again is the same thing. If you are in a serious caloric deficit, get out of the deficit. But usually, and this is why I think carbs are a big help here, is because usually the reason people are in this adrenally fatigued state and they're having trouble with quote-unquote tired and wired is because they go into a calorie deficit pulling carbs out. I, I see a lot of people that come to me that are in this state that are under eating. They're not under eating fats or protein. They're under eating carbs. They go into a diet because they want to lose weight and they cut carbs in hopes that this is gonna happen and it causes this fatigue and it causes this issue um, and they need to have carbs um, and specifically probably before sleep so you don't fall into that tired and wired. Um, cool, the next one. Carbs are literally harder to store as fat. This is this is called de novo lipogenesis. So you might, I, I believe, Jeff Nippert has a really good video kind of talking about this, and, and I'll post that if if it is that. Um, but de novo lipogenesis is like it's basically. It's the process of converting excess carbohydrates into fatty acids, uh, which are then stored as triglycerols uh, or just stored as fat. So basically taking carbohydrates and storing them as fat. This process is harder for the body to do than storing fat as fat, which makes sense. If you think about storing fat, which is a lipid, as a fat, which is a lipid, it makes sense, right? Um, But the point with this, me using this, is that if you have too many calories coming in, and not enough going out, you'll gain body fat. We know this. You're in a caloric surplus, um, excluding protein for the most part. Um, there's a few studies that actually prove that even protein overfeeding won't be stored as body fat. But um, it doesn't. It almost doesn't matter where those extra calories are coming from if you are eating in a surplus. Whether that's pop-tarts or sweet potatoes, junk or healthy. If you're in a caloric surplus, you will gain weight. That being said, there is a lot of evidence to show that carbs may be harder for your body to store as body fat. Carbs are a non-essential nutrient, meaning we don't technically need them to live, but I would argue that we do need them in order to perform hard um, and improve performance, strength, hypertrophy, so on and so forth at our highest potential. We also know based on what we've gone over in this podcast so far that you need them in order to maximize muscle growth. Therefore, they're pretty useful for energy demands. In fact, even ketogenic athletes who are participating in endurance-based sports will commonly use carbs at the last minute during an event or uh, literally intra-workout during an event, or they will do like a carb load, um, hoping that the process will have this like super compensation effect to push their performance higher. Um, it makes sense in theory. I would argue that it's probably not going to work that well for the people who do follow a ketogenic diet and then carb load right before. Um, if you follow a ketogenic diet for too long, and there's actually some good research that Mike T. Nelson popularized, Um, If you follow a ketogenic for too long, you actually lose the enzymes needed in order to properly digest and facilitate carbohydrates for fuel. So that's part of becoming keto adapted is you start using fats for fuel, your body loses the enzymes and the ability to use carbs as fuel. So the transition period from going into keto and out of keto is difficult. Therefore, in theory, it makes sense. Get Get insulin sensitive, drop carbs, go keto, and then boom, fill your body with carbs and go hard. However, it doesn't work that way because of this process of losing the enzymes needed. Um, And I believe we talked about this in my podcast with Mike, so I'll I'll put that in here. But um, this just solidifies the fact that carbs are essential for performance. We need it. The literature shows it, and uh, the experience proves it. They just work. That, on the other hand, are better for hormonal production, as we talked about, brain fuel, um, which glucose is still powerful for brain fuel fat helps fight inflammation, some other health markers, storage, so on and so forth. Um, But storage is the big key one there that I wanted to throw out there because a lot of people think storage is bad, but in survival, it's good. Fats are a great nutrient to store because they can fuel our bodily functions such as hormonal and neurological function, and they can provide the energy we need for low-intensity daily tasks like walking or simply moving or doing chores or whatever it means. But it's also why, unless you're a genetically gifted athlete... When you get super lean, your NEAT, non-exercise activity thermogenesis goes down, you move less, and you are just a bit slower. Um, We have less fat in our body, and we have less calories coming in, therefore, these processes, these normal day-to-day processes, lower. Again, they're an essential nutrient, which means our body will prioritize storing them in order to survive day-to-day. Think about that. They are an essential nutrient to survive. We need them in our life. They are easier to store because of that. Carbs, on the other hand, will be prioritized as a fuel source, which means they are more likely to be burned off when it comes to using your muscular system to performing anything above a low-intensity effort, and still some glucose will be used in those low-intensity effort. So to bring this point of making carbs more difficult, or the fact that carbs are more difficult to store as body fat, um, we'll kind of bring this into a few application points. Carbs are predominantly used as fuel for training and repairing building muscle tissue. Fats are predominantly used for health, neurological function, hormonal regulation, anti-inflammation processes, and some other health benefits. When carbs are extremely scarce to the point of non-existence for an extended period of time, your body will begin to use fat for fuel by creating ketones. But this takes a while to transition, I mean weeks if not months. Our body turns carbohydrates into glucose and stores them as glycogen in either our liver, smaller storage source, or muscle glycogen, mus- much larger, um, which grows with muscul- muscular accumulation. So as you build more muscle, you have more potential to store more glycogen in your muscle cells. Our body will only store calories as fat if we are in a caloric surplus, quote unquote, overfed, or our hormonal balance is creating imbalances, causing us to causing us weight gain, which really is more like our hormonal balance is in a dysfunctional position, which means our caloric maintenance lowers. So it becomes easier to go into a caloric surplus. So hormonal issues don't negate the fact that calories, in versus calories out matters. It just lowers the amount of calories that you can consume while maintaining weight, therefore making it much, much easier to be in a caloric surplus. But that's hormonal dysfunction. If we are in a caloric surplus, assuming that we are training hard, our body will prioritize carbohydrates as fuel and glycogen storage, not fat storage. Therefore, it may be advantageous to have a higher carb protocol when chasing muscle mass. Studies have shown this as well, and we have anecdotal research, which they followed tons of bodybuilders through a prep, and the bodybuilders who placed the highest on stage and had the most muscle mass and the least body fat all followed a higher, fat, uh, I'm sorry, higher carb protocol. They did not have worse hormonal issues at the end because they all had hormonal issues at the end because they were all in caloric deficits. So at a maintenance level, caloric intake, it still might be advantageous to have a higher ratio of carbohydrates to fuel performance and avoid fat storage because of this process of de novo lipogenesis and the fact that it is much harder for our body to convert a carbohydrate and store it as fat. We take in these nutrients. We take protein in and we rebuild things with it. We take carbs in and we use it for our fuel sources. We take fats in and we store it to better our hormones, better our brain, better our joint inflammation and whatever's left, we store it as body fat because what we wanna do with it is store it for later when food becomes scarce because we are survival beings and when we do not have food coming in, we need something in order to facilitate that joint inflammation, menstrual cycles, hormonal processes, so on and so forth. So by no means am I saying fat's gonna make you fat. But if we are in a caloric surplus, your body is going to go for fats before it goes for carbs. That's my point with this. If we are in a caloric surplus and it's going down the checklist, protein, not gonna store. Carbs, I'm gonna use that for fuel. Fats, we have enough to support our hormones and our joint inflammation, our health, cool. I'm gonna store the rest for fat as fat on my body just in case later we don't have anything coming in. So my point being here, if you are healthy, if you are at a healthy hormonal place, if you are at caloric maintenance or surplus, it's probably gonna be advantageous to be in a, in a, a macronutrient ratio where carbs are a little bit more favored than fats. Number six, carbs are hiding nutrients from you. There are so many nutrients inside carbs that we eat. Which is why I don't prefer a ketogenic style diet. I believe that we'll be missing out on too many nutrients uh, that are inside of carbohydrates that we would help us, um, and we're not able to get through fats. I also know for a fact that during a higher carb diet, we can still get all the nutrients we need from fats if prescribed properly, because inside the type of inside that type of diet, a more balanced diet, we're ne- we're not neglecting or excluding fats. We're just limiting the total quantity consumed daily. So, fifty grams of fat for a person that's Anywhere between one hundred and fifty to one hundred and eighty pounds isn 't low by any means, but you have to be smart to get all your different types of fat your mono poly and unsaturated uh, and saturated fats. You have to be purposeful with implementing coconut oil, whole eggs, avocado, olive oil, macadamia nuts like getting your variety of fats. you have to be methodical with it. If you have one hundred grams of fat to play with it 's easy to get all those. So you can follow a moderately low-fat diet and still get all the nutrients you need in there. However, if you do not get enough carbs in your diet, it becomes very hard to get fiber, sodium, potassium, magnesium, vitamin C, calcium, glucose, fructose, all the vitamins and minerals that are inside fruits and vegetables and greens. So these things can be supplemented, obviously. So even though they may be low um, and more difficult to get inside of a keto diet, you can supplement and kind of remove that. But one thing to remember is that vitamins and minerals are typically better absorbed via whole foods because micronutrients are shuttled to the cell via micro- macronutrients. And what that means is in order to get the micro to work, we need to be, uh, have the macro present. So in order to get the micronutrient to work properly, we need the macronutrient to be present. So a good example of this is vitamin D. It's a fat-soluble vitamin and it will not be properly absorbed without the presence of some sort of fat being consumed with it. So if you drink a glass of water in the morning, you take your vitamin D, but you have no food with it that contains fat, you're probably not going to properly absorb that fat or that vitamin D. But if you have a glass of water, your vitamin D and three whole eggs cooked in some coconut oil, that's a lot of fat. It's going to transport that. I think of it like a boat crossing the ocean or a bridge. The car is vitamin D, Your body is on the other side of land, and the boat or the bridge is the fat macronutrient. It's going to carry that vitamin. So we need food to facilitate that properly, which is another reason why we need all macronutrients. But my point being here is vitamins and minerals are always going to be better facilitated with the presence of real food, one because real food is assimilated better. We don't have to take a, a, a man-made supplement and try to break it down and absorb it. Doesn't mean supplements don't work because they do, um, but I think they're going to be better absorbed with whole food. And a lot of vitamins and minerals actually need whole food present in order to properly absorb them. And then last but not least, just to just to throw it out again, there's so many vitamins and minerals inside of carbs, sweet potatoes, whole grains vegetables across the board, greens, colors, all those, root vegetables, mushrooms, peppers, Brussels, like the list goes on of vegetables, Um, fruits, all the different colors. They all have different micronutrient densities in it. And if we're on a ketogenic diet or a very low carb diet, we're even restricting our whole food sources that contain these vitamins and minerals. So carbs are kind of hiding nutrients from us. And the last thing I'll say today is number seven. Carbs are the most fuel efficient source they're the most efficient fuel source and we've we've covered this we've been this like a dead horse but A good example is it's not just our muscle cells that we need, right? So we need starch. We need potato rice, all those things, whole grains. We need those because that's going to convert into muscle glycogen, which is literally going to help us recover muscle. It's going to help us perform harder. It's what we use inside of hard training. But we also need fruit, which gives us fructose, which is the primary source of liver glycogen. So fruit is predominantly stored in the liver. We don't need a ton of it, but we need fruit in order to properly have our liver stores full, our liver glycogen, full store. And this is going to affect our hormones. It's going to affect our health. It's going to affect our nervous system. It's going to affect our blood glucose levels, allowing us to create better ATP and create a better pump and get into training harder. So the list goes on. But at the end of the day, carbs are our fuel source. And this is why ketogenic studies in athletes usually don't work out in the favor of ketogenic style diets, simply because carbs are our fuel source. They are the most easy, the, the easiest macronutrient to take digest, absorb, and store as fuel to be later used. And I've never had a client that I've increased carbs with that didn't significantly see improvements in their energy and in their in their fuel in the workouts. End of story, but it goes beyond just the muscles. It goes into the liver. So I hope you guys enjoyed this podcast. My goal with this is to be very informative. On Mondays, I'm gonna be doing more of these where we pick a very specific topic and we try to deep dive into it and it really educate you on what, why, and how so you can understand proper nutrition, understand training, understand coaching, understand accountability. And we dive into one subject and just go hard on it for 30 to 45 minutes where we really, really educate you on that one thing. And today I chose carbs. This is also a, in a blog form. So you can check out the blog called seven things you didn't know about carbs, but need to know. And I'll link that in the show notes. Or if you like this podcast, you don't feel like you need any more information on it. You got what you needed. Great. I'm happy. Uh, point being, I hope you guys enjoyed it. I hope you guys learned a lot. I hope you guys start eating carbs because I love carbs and they help so many of my clients. doesn't mean a low-carb diet isn't good and it doesn't mean there aren't individual situations where you might need a low-carb diet because I even right now can think of a handful of clients I do have on a low-carb diet. But this is where individualized nutrition comes into play because there's times and places for everything. And usually... It's a temporary time. You shouldn't cut out any one macronutrient for an extended period of time. So, all right, guys, I appreciate you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed, and I will catch you next time. Before I let you go, I just want to say thanks. I seriously appreciate you spending this last hour or so with me, educating yourself to get better results. It still humbles me to this day that people around the world literally have me in their headphones or their speakers just to learn. It's so empowering, and because of that, I have three quick things for you. The first one is a personal favor. Please leave me a five-star rating and review on iTunes. When you do this, not only does it help me learn and get better at making podcasts for you to get better results, but it helps us grow inside of iTunes, which allows us to invest more, again, to get you better results. The second thing, head over to boomboomformance.com sign up or click the link in the show notes to get your free copy of the Nutrition Hierarchy.